All right, guys, thanks for checking out the At The Buzzer podcast. This is your source for everything related to Gordon Hayward, LaMelo Ball, and the Charlotte Hornets. Stay tuned, subscribe, follow along for everything you need to know about the Hornets. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of At The Buzzer. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Knock A Few Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, Cavalier Central, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoop Heads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hi, welcome back to another episode of At The Buzzer Podcast. Very special guest, James Plowright of At The Hive, uh, and At The Hive Live, his podcast. James, thanks for being here, man. No, thanks. Thanks for having me, and uh, thank thank returning the favor from when you came on our pod. And um, I was actually just listening to your your episode with Filippo, and I got finished the, listening with that. And I think you messaged me about twenty minutes later saying, "Do you want to come on the pod?" So I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." So yeah, thanks for having uh, me on. <laughs> I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. You know, we got to have uh, all the uh, James and Jims. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get uh, Jim Borrego next. I'm very excited. You know, he's already con- confirmed, locked in. Yeah, well, who, who the Hornets need to draft? Is there a James? James John? No, Jalen Johnson was Duke, wasn't it? There's no, if there's a James in the draft, we need to get him as well. I guess, there's got to be like a, a fringe second rounder undrafted guy with like James as their first name at the very least. You know, James some Buck shooter. Knight. That's the one. James Booknight. Oh, there you go. There you go. James Booknight. Exactly. Destined to be a Hornet. Future Hornet. <laughs> All right, man. Well, Last two games, I guess we can go ahead and start with that. The bulk of our podcast is going to be based around your Hornets draft history article, which I, I really enjoyed and honestly had a ton of fun like looking back through all the drafts over the previous eight seasons. Um, but let's go ahead and talk a little bit about injury stuff. It looks like Malik Monk's out for at least another two weeks, and uh, Gordon Hayward also went down with an injury in the Pacers game, and uh, I don't know. It seems uh, frightening to me in terms of our scoring load, wouldn't you say? I'm I'm right there with you. I I mean the fact we pulled out that Pacers game last night was was really impressive. I know they were missing guys too, obviously, but uh, some of our depth pieces really came through. But like long term, looking forward for like the next two weeks at least. I mean, right now we are missing Monk. We're missing Lamelo. If Hayward's out for extended period of time, that adds up to fifty points per game. Which which from the Hornets yeah, right now, like yeah. that's that's almost half of our scoring on our entire roster. So the, the scoring concerns are very real heading forward and the, the deeper bench pieces on this team, your Wanamakers, um, your K- Cody Martins, those guys who are going to soak up more minutes are kind of really defensive first guys. They're not, you know, they're not, uh, microwaves coming off the bench. So I've, I've got real concerns about this team being able to score efficiently, uh, going forward. 
And our defense has, like, statistically been pretty solid, even with that Nets game over the last, like, 10 games or so. I think we're still, like, top half of the league. But scoring, like, Hayward being out is really going to handicap us. And who knows with him? I feel like all his injuries feel so, like, freak. You know, it's not like he has a chronic sore foot issue. But if he's out for even, like, a month, or even if it's more than just, like, a game or two, it really puts us in a precarious situation, especially in regards to, like, how the playoff picture is, like, wrapping out. The uh, Pacers game, obviously, very big win uh, in terms of all of that. And I've kind of, I'm coming around. I think we are probably a playoff team at this point. And it's not because we are better than I thought we were. I just think other teams are worse than I thought they were. And I think the Pacers are an example of that. I think you are your last one, last one on the train for the Hornets being a playoff <laughs> team. Last one, at, last call at the station, boarding now. I mean, I'm not like a hundred percent like we're we're going to be a six seed and above, you know. But it's just like we've banked enough wins that this is provided Hayward comes back after like a game or two, you know. Like I think we're expected to like maybe lose to Boston regardless. But uh, yeah, the other teams keep losing and we keep winning, and it's just uh, even with our point differential, our clutch really pulls us through. And I, I know you've been watching, you know, I feel like you chime in with like Knicks lost tonight, Celtics lost tonight, Rappers lost tonight uh, pretty regularly. So I know you're watching like a hawk. I, I can't. I hate I hate wishing other teams to lose. I, I really dislike the idea of sport. Um, and because I, I love watching all teams and I, I, I hate kind of relying on others and kind of looking what other people do. And I know like all coaches will always say, we just have to focus on, on what we need to do as a team and the rest of the stuff you can't control it. So why bother caring? I can't help but care. Like <laughs> I'm watching that. Like, the first thing I do every night is just check the results from the other teams. And I saw the Hawks beat the Pelicans by 20. And I was like, wow, they lost John Collins. That's interesting. And then I clicked on the scorecard. I saw Trey Young was out and I was like, what on earth? And then I saw like Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, and Zion Williamson. Where I was like, "Oh, this is a this is a team of like the Pelicans and Hawks bench players against each other." Really, really is what this game actually was. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a it's going to be an interesting ride till the end of the season. Now, um, you, like you say, the Hornets' defense over like the last 10, 11 games, I think it's top ten in the league. I think we're eighth and ninth right now. I was looking at it earlier, so it's. The, the team where it's lost the scoring with Malik, with Lamelo, what it is also doing is giving more minutes to, like we said, that the Cody Martin, Brad Wanamaker types who are more defensive first. So I think we're almost seeing a little bit of a shift in what this team is kind of mid-season here, depending on their personnel available. Yeah, it's become much more of a grinded out. The pace has been incredibly slow, especially compared to like how much we were running, especially with Lamelo on the court. The Nets game was a, a tough watch, you know, even though we lost by technically only 20, it felt like we were, I think we were down by 30 plus points multiple times throughout the game. And it's a real bummer that it's like our nationally televised game that I felt like we earned from our play at the start of the season. But I guess, I don't know, it is what it is in that point. No, absolutely. I was just on a, an NBA UK fans Instagram live thing today. And they asked me about what's the worst game of the Hornet season so far. And I was like, well, that's easy. It was two nights ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was the toughest time I've had watching a game. Like, like I, I went, I started kind of flicking over at timeouts to other games and I didn't really mind if I missed a couple of minutes of the Hornets game. Like I just kind of hopped around a little bit because I could just tell after that first quarter, we were, we were not going anywhere. 
Yeah, it was one of those games where I typically don't watch games live all that often because I like being able to like pause and like jump back and like, you know, go through and like look at various things a little slower, which like if you're watching live, you kind of want to be on Twitter with everyone else. Uh, but that was a game where it's just like after the second, like really this in the second half, I had it on, but it wasn't getting my full attention. And uh, I had to go back and rewatch the fourth quarter. And it's just like it, it was rough to see. And it's like rough to see guys like PJ, who I think I was like singing his praises, you know, a few weeks ago. And then the last 10 games, he's shooting less than 40 percent from the field. He's like 30 percent from three. And his just like on-ball defense on the perimeter is just so bad and we he keeps like teams are realizing if you get pj switched onto him you can get by him with just a average first step and that's really been tough to watch and he fouls a lot too and then that yeah. re- that really is a bad knock-on effect because then he's benched he's out of rhythm and then he kind of comes in and tries to force it a little bit because he thinks he needs to yeah i think look pj's help defense this year has been really impressive but i i still do agree like his man-to-man defense it, it was a, it was an issue last year as a rookie. He, he fouled a lot when he was isolated, either in the post, and it's still something that he he needs to work on. Yeah, one thing we've also seen over the last few games and the the last two is uh, Bismack Biombo, our our guy who will come up later in the pod, uh, starting at the five for us in multiple games. Uh, I am not a fan, but I would love to hear your take on that and like. I know on the at the uh, at the Hive Live, you guys were talking about how Cody's played worse and like Biz has played better. Do you think it's like what we should do continuing moving forward with him at the starting center position? I don't, especially with the lack of scoring now with with Monk potentially Hayward and Lamella being out. I I, I think this is one thing I've been thinking about recently. We're gonna have to shift more. I know there's been a shift more to be like a slower paced defensive team, but the more I think about it, we're losing like 50 points per game. I think we might have to downsize a little bit more with playing, playing more PJ at five. I know that then puts a stress on like that small forward position a little bit more, but, um, well, I, I, I don't know so much like biz. Cody hasn't been playing well. Not, neither of them have really been playing that well. Like, Cody played excellent last night, I will say. But uh, in general, he's, he's been rough, yeah. Yeah, I think since coming back from the injury, he's been... He has, it, Cody is just one of those guys, he has like a great three minutes when you're like, ah, oh, like he rebounds, he scores, he defends, he can pass. And then he just doesn't do it again until like 24 hours later when he plays his next game. It's, it's a very strange thing. And um, I, I think ultimately... Zeller's falling apart physically before our eyes. I think I think we can see that. And I looked into some stats before this, and a couple of things kind of to point out. Firstly, his rim protection has halved from his career average this year. His block percentage, like last year and this year, has just dropped fifty percent from what it was in his like first six years in the league. Mm. So I think that that's a real concern. I also think his foul rate of him drawing fouls. Uh, every single year of his career, like he was normally like had quite a good first step and he beat guys off the dribble and he was like a foul rate between 15 and 20%. This year he's down at like 13%. It's his, it's his career worst. And I think we're seeing, you know, the lack of rim protection, the last of a lack of ability to draw a foul. He doesn't feel he's got the speed advantage anymore that he always used to be. That was his big thing for a seven footer. He was quick. He was kind of agile up and down and was not so bad laterally. I think we're just beginning to see that. And I don't know if Borrego is trying to save him physically. Um, I, I, the reason I think Biz has been playing was because the team were playing well the, together collectively. Even if Biz, when you like watch his individual performance, was 
still not good. Um, yeah, I think Zella long term, I think he will come back to start at some point. Um, maybe now, like I said, needing a little bit more off- offense because he's not a good offensive player, but he is better than Biz. Um, I, I think we could see a shift in the coming weeks, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough watch for both of our centers and it's kind of making you think, well, at trade deadline, if they had got someone, this team would be in a much better position to kick on right now. Yeah, even like a Gorgie Jang would be really nice right now. Just anybody who can play above replacement level like center minutes is uh, would be a real nice thing to have. And I don't think, like, I know we have Richards and Vernon Carey, but these guys are not going to be playing uh, meaningful minutes, especially on a team that is like right now a four seed, as crazy as that sounds, even though we're, you know, only a couple games above 500. Cody still does like a lot of small things that he really succeeds on. Uh, I posted a clip just like Brad Wanamaker. I think he missed a shot or got his own. Re- he got a rebound or a steal. And then Cody just sealed off Sabonis completely to give Wanamaker uh, a, just a very easy layup. And it's just like little tiny stuff that Cody does all the time that is really effective. And those things, in addition to just how bad biz is on offense, I'd rather have him play more minutes. The argument that Cody, we need to play him less so he doesn't get hurt for the playoffs makes a little bit of sense for me, but I would rather just play Cody 25 minutes a night and then put PJ at small ball five for the rest of it. Maybe have Biz come in for, yeah, five to seven minutes a game. And mentioning like PJ's bad on ball defense, he's an okay post defender. He's like fairly stout and I think he will do fine there. Um, defensively or like it can't be much worse than it will be with Zeller and offensively opens things up a lot Zeller also shooting threes has been really rough this season which I don't think uh, I've seen anyone I think he's made like four threes on a bunch of attempts and it's uh, really disappointing uh, after his Sacramento Kings uh, draft workout in 2014 you know (laughs) I remember there was a a Zach Lowe's 10 random things in a preseason and I think he guessed Cody Zeller and it might have been some there was someone else some other like traditional big and he was like I think they will make at least you know 43s this year because in preseason Cody had like flashed it pretty well um but I mean this season it, it's just one of those things Cody has one attempt per game and if he misses that attempt he does not take another three it's like and he knows he needs to because he knows bigs are just playing off him and crowding the lane and every time you hear like Borrego talked about it, he's like, yeah, we need Cody shooting threes. We're confident in him. But at this point, I just, I believe it when I see it. I don't think it's ever going to come. Um, I think like if he's going to shoot threes, I like want him to kind of get two or three attempts per game rather than this like one a game borderline one attempt per game. I, I just don't think he's ever going to find any rhythm that way. And he's wide open when he's shooting these threes. It's not like he's like, these are contested threes at the end of the shot clock. It's like, he is wide open. Either he takes this three or the like offense is just totally has to reset with not a lot of time left. And he's just, yeah, he can't make three pointers. And it feels like he's a guy who should have learned how to make three pointers. He's like a high skill player in a lot of ways. He seems to be a guy who like works on his game. And it's just an element that I don't think he'll ever add, which is, uh, disappointing because he really needs to add that to his game if he wants to you know extend his career past where it is currently no i agree and and like you said i've been like i think i tweeted out quite early in the season i'm all for like just looking at pj washington as a as like a a semi kind of 50 percent of his time playing time be a center I, i think it's for this team for this roster i it's been pretty good 
it's like if you look at the numbers, like we've got a net rating of plus seven and a half when PJ plays five. Like that's pretty good. Yeah, that's huge. That's yeah, one of the best teams in the league. If it was like you know throughout the course of a whole season, absolutely. You know? And and defensively, you're not even sacrificing that much. And you look at business net rating, which is like I think was it is it the worst net rating in the league? It, last time I looked, it was like in the like the first or second percentile, like a minus thirteen like point differential. Uh, for him in on and off the court. So uh, I think Borrego likes all the things that don't come up in the, like, the score sheet and hence won't contribute to stats. I think he likes how he talks in defense, how he communicates, the intensity and physicality that Biz plays with. He likes all those things. I think he makes the team tougher. I think he helps other guys on defense. But like his own individual play, it's tough to watch. Yeah, I'm just so tired of watching, you know, Bismack miss passes, just like bounce right off his hands. And he's just, he's also just not big enough to be even like a good to like great defensive rebounder. He's like an average to like slightly above average rebounder. And if you can't give anything on offense, I want you grabbing every board in sight. Um, Talking about Bismack parlays nicely into our the bulk of this which is our draft conversation um i'm a huge fan of the draft it's like as a fan of a bad franchise the draft is like your moment of hope and so for the past like i guess we're we'll go back to 2011 and started that year because that's where your article starts but uh before we get into it what made you want to write this article and uh if you want to like we'll save our big findings for the end but anything you want to say about it yeah i think the first thing that made me reflect back on the, the kind of previous regime's draft record was looking at all the second round picks currently on the roster. Um, and, you know, having 10 rookie scale contracts on the full time roster right now, including Grant Riller, who's on a two way. It just really made me think like, God, there was a time where the last, before Dwayne Bacon, the last second round pick I can remember playing is Jeff Taylor. And there is like a long gap between those two players. And I remember staying up on draft night, you know, after to the second round, like having the list of guys I want the Hornets to take with the whatever pick they had in the second round. And they take someone and I just find out it was traded. And I would never hear from that player ever again. So I, I it started out really as I, I wanted to look at how the Hornets kind of like had done a player development now versus back then. But as I delved into it more, I actually thought, actually, I just want to go through and like list off this record and review that first. Um, so that's kind of where I started. Uh, it was certainly interesting, especially with the trades, trying to figure out like, cause at the time you, you hear like, oh, traded for two future second round picks. And you're like, huh. Mm-hmm. And how many times do you actually go back and find out like who those picks became those two, three, four years later? So. It was a really interesting exercise to do. I didn't want to... I mean, you could do like a whole story just about the 2011 draft. And I I wanted to touch each one in short, hitty remarks. And uh, it was hard to quantify, but I remember there being like swells of Hornets fandom having certain takes. And I wanted to kind of communicate those in, in some of those areas as well. Like how good Jeff Taylor was on defense against DeMar DeRozan. Like I remember Hornets fans referencing that game and it's, it's nothing that anyone talks about now. Um, so yeah, I think that that's where it kind of started. Um, and it just also became clear, like, Oh my God, how many times did the Hornets just move second round picks for nothing? And that's, mm-hmm. that was my big takeaway was just the devaluation of second round picks at a time where in the Sixers process era at the same time, 
you're seeing a premium put on second round picks around the league with teams hoarding them and packaging them together for players. Um, so the, the, the Bobcats, then Hornets really decided to kind of zag while everyone else was zigging at that time. Well, end of the day, I'm rooting for Michael Jordan to get richer and richer. And that's what I want as a Hornets or Bobcats fan. You know, uh, what is a billionaire on my team if he can't be an even bigger billionaire? And uh, I think it's good that uh, we sacrificed all that future capital uh, for like nothing effectively. And uh, as we go through this, like I kind of when I went through it all, I kind of broke it up on. Good players we we missed in the first round, bad players we avoided because it's like it's very easy to say, oh, we should have drafted, you know, Clay Tom, uh, Clay Thompson or Devin Booker or Donovan Mitchell. But at the same time, it's also like worthwhile to be like, um, you know what? Like we didn't draft Alex Lynn, you know, like it's like worth mentioning those players, too. But in terms of like second round stuff, it's most of the time it's going to be a miss. But I I went through it, and this is just by, like, my calculations. Um, I went through the past drafts from 2011 to, like, 2019. And if you cut out 2019, because I think it's too early to tell, you have, like, an 18.5% chance to get a rotational player in the second round, where it's, like, a 1 in 5 chance, a little bit less, is not super high. But over the course of uh, 10 years... That means you probably have two rotational players. And if you're selling your second round picks for like cash considerations, which we did very often, as we can see in your article, it's just really hamstringing you in the long term. And furthermore, the top 45 picks, you almost have like a 30% chance of getting a rotational level guy in those uh, in that range. And a lot of the picks that we sold were like the 39th pick, the 45th pick. Things like that. And it's just like, oh my God, like if we sold the fifth, if we sell the Nets pick this year, that's going to be like 58. Who, who cares? You know, but like when you're giving up like the 39th pick and it's like, yeah, Jeremy Tyler didn't do anything, but it's just like such a waste of asset management. And it's just like, you don't really care about your team getting better. Exactly. And I always look at it like, that's one thing I didn't do too much in the article was touch on like, oh, the Hornets could have drafted Bradley Beal third and they didn't. Like I, I tried to focus on the Hornets selections more. I, I know I touched on like the Bucker and Donovan Mitchell picks again because I, I remember that, that kind of being a, a key narrative going into the draft. But yeah, the second round, the, the asset management of the team at the time was was just poor. And who who's to blame? That That's the key thing is who's to blame. And there is no single person we like to pin it on one person in in in, MB, in the NBA, but it wasn't just Rich Cho's fault. As I put, you know, no one's letting Rich Cho make all the basketball decisions when he never played the game or, you know, he was, he was really a guy to, to bring process to their, to their drafting system and to their player recruitment system, building a database, a scouting database, looking at how they can manage the salary cap. Ironically, they managed the salary cap pretty terrible over that year period. Um, but that's what he was brought in to do to kind of bring method to a room full of like basketball lifers. And I don't think, you know, th- th- that mix certainly didn't work. And was it the basketball lifers fault? Was it Rich Cho's fault? It's, it's a collective responsibility. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think I, I would place more blame on Michael Jordan. Like Rich Cho is never being like, you know what? We should sell the second round pick for cash. You know, if you're like trying to make your team better as a general manager, you never would should really care about like the business side of an organization and how it like can deal with like draft capital. Like sure you might want 
you know, tickets to, you know, ticket sales to increase and all that kind of stuff. But even when we drafted LaMelo, Mitch Kupchak isn't being like, you know what? LaMelo Ball's got a big following. He's going to help sell tickets next year. Like, that shouldn't be a part of the calculus. No, absolutely not. And I still think, I think now the Hornets are doing well. There's this conception around the NBA that Michael Jordan is letting Mitch Kupchak do his thing. If you watch the press conference after they signed Hayward and the press conference with the, with Kupchak and then also Hayward's press conference, he was described as very involved with the whole Hayward signing. And, and I get that. If you're handing out like a close to max contract, your owners are going to be involved. But I think now just because they do well, everyone's like, oh, he's letting him do his own thing. I, I don't think that's the case. Um, I still think there's probably an element of him maybe handing over the reins a little bit more. But you know, like, Michael was still in the room on draft night. I know he was because they did some behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, I think he still, you know, has a... He's maybe 25, 30% less involved than he's used to be. But he's not suddenly, like, hands-off, Mitch, you just run the whole show. I, I, I just think that fits a narrative on a national media front, which is appealing right now because the team's doing better. I, I definitely agree with that, yeah. Um, and so let's like talk, let's start with this like 2011 draft. So that is the first, like we blew it up year, you know, we like traded, you know, uh, Steven Jackson and, uh, crash and all those guys. We end up with Bismack at seven and Kimba at nine overall, like honestly, a pretty solid draft for us. Like Bismack obviously is not turned out to be like a starter level guy, uh, despite him starting on our team currently. But uh, at the same time, like the bigs who went ahead of him, it's like Derek Williams and his canter, Tristan Thomas, uh, Trompson, like Jonas Valanciunas obviously went above him, but would have been a better pick. Jan Vesley. So guys we kind of missed out on were Clay Thompson, who went a little bit later, like the Morris twins, which have been good NBA players, but I don't feel like that like hurt us in the long term. And then I think Kawhi and Tobias Harris are the two big ones. But both of them were like projected to go a little bit later. So I'm not like beating them up for picking Bismack over Kawhi. Yeah, you've got a 10 year vet in Biz. You played in the league for 10 years. You've got Ken Walker, who's, you know, arguably this fran- one of this franchise's best ever players. I think that's probably as, as good as it started. And I- ironically, that was where- with Rich Cho not probably having much time there. I mean, I think he he joined the team in May and the draft will have been in, what, June? So mm. you probably say that's the draft where Rich Cho has had the least impact. Like, he's not got his scouting database up and running yet. He's not recruited his own guys. So he's probably very much a passenger in all of that. And it, it interested to hear, like... Because I tried to find some articles about, like, Kemba Walker being Michael Jordan's pick. And I seem to... I remember it in my head. That that's, that was the narrative. That, that was the narrative, definitely. Biz. definitely. Yeah, and I could find nothing about that anywhere. But uh, it's g- interesting that you you remember that narrative as well because I almost didn't include that in my piece because I was like, I don't want to throw around something that I, like, I'm like i semi-remembering here and I can't source. But I- I'm sure that was reported, not just narrative, but it was reported somewhere as well. Yeah, I, I remember that being the narrative. And it could have been just as like, Michael Jordan likes winners and Kimba Walker just won the NCAA tournament. And as you can tell from our future draft record, I really feel like we're one of the teams that the March Madness tournament mattered too much. And I feel like when you're like looking at draft prospects, it's the worst time to evaluate. 
because it's the time that has the most eyeballs on them. So Kimba played his best in the NCAA tournament. So we had a ton of eyeballs. And the same thing with like Frank Kaminsky, who comes up later, like Cody Zeller didn't have a great uh, March Madness tournament, but was like a top college player. And uh, I feel like that's like a lacking thing. I, I remember like for me, and it's like just worth mentioning because all this is going to be like hindsight, like, wow, what fools they were. I wanted Thomas Robinson on this team. That was like the guy I wanted um, who is like, you know, playing in like Croatia right now, maybe like I forgot last time I checked. So, yeah, he, a lot of Hornets fans wanted Thomas Robinson, like played super hard. Uh, at this point, I wasn't kind of really deep into draft stuff yet. Well, well I, but I will have been I will have been 18 in the 2011 draft. So I wasn't like super, super into it. Um, I was kind of like more just like a spectator. So I didn't really want anyone, but I remember being way more excited about the biz pick because there was all this untapped yeah, potential. Yeah. Um, I, I like the idea of, I remember liking Tobias Harris because I'm, I'm, whenever someone says, and it's not just, and that's not just because the Hornets selected him with the pick that they traded in the end. Whenever anyone says like, oh, this guy's just good at everything and not really great at anything. For me, I'm always like, well, I want a guy who's good at everything. Like, that's <laughs> how can that be a bad thing? And he's the, he was the youngest player in the draft from memory. So, like, Tobias Harris was always a name that I never thought the Hornets would draft him because, well, it was one of those. If we kept the 19th pick, he would be in play. But as soon as we made the trade, I knew he was off the table. Um, but he he really made a career for himself, and that kind of makes that trade look even worse now but I mean I didn't I didn't even know now I don't know who the guys were selected like 18th and 20th and who knows that the Hornets kept that pick did they even take Tobias Harris because they they probably t- selected him on behalf of the other team because that trade That's was made a few days yeah. before the draft yeah uh and then we get into 2012 and like looking back through all these drafts this is the one that set the franchise back the most it is like clearly you know maybe not our worst like uh, process picks in terms of like we tried to pick for this reason but uh yeah we had we were tanking for anthony davis we bottomed out we won seven seven games the whole year and got the second pick we end up with mkg and jeff taylor and mkg you know was fresh off the national championship he was like looking really good jeff taylor seemed like the ideal three and d defender he played really well at Vanderbilt, was known as a lockdown defender, and someone who became like a very good shooter at the college level, even though his like freshman and sophomore seasons weren't as strong as his junior one. Um, but missing out on like Bradley Beal, uh, excuse me, yeah, Bradley Beal really hurt, uh, Lillard, even guys like Barnes and Drummond, all of those guys would have helped our franchise way more than MKG did, despite the love I've had for MKG. Yeah, I think the context is important here. The the 2012 draft was the the year after the the worst winning percentage in NBA history, if I'm not mistaken. That's isn't correct. It? Yeah, 2011, correct, 2012. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know Michael Kagilchrist, the founder of the the Kentucky Breakfast Club, where people got up early and lifted before training, and like this culture setter for this team it's that just narrative. loses. It's great. Yeah, I love and that. It's a shit. loser. That yeah, exactly. Like he he's the guy, and like, do you remember the first half? of the summer league game that NKG played before he got injured. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He was, he like just took the ball from two people. He pulled up for three and we're all like, oh, don't worry about Anthony Davis. We got MKG. Like he's a terror on both ends. If you even dribble close to him, he's a good slasher. He's athletic. And you know, he shows some three point range and he then tweaked his knee on a layup. I remember or a dunk. 
and he didn't play the rest of Summer League and then showed flashes at times over the next few years, but never looked a, never looked a dominant player. And that, that first half of that Summer League game, he was, it was just so exciting to watch. Um, and yeah, he just kind of like the NBA moved away from him. But the other thing is like, I don't think he ever really developed. Like he wasn't a disruptive defender. He got worse. Was always he, like, got worse. He, he was, he was a good defender. He always stayed in front of his man. Like you wouldn't beat him off the dribble, but he didn't kind of create offense by getting loads of steals or he wasn't a massive rim protector, um, from that four, four or three or four position. Um, and he just became anemic to scoring. It, it was, it was painful to watch MKG in offense in those last two or three years in Charlotte. And at time when he signed that contract extension, you think MKG 14, 14 mil a year for like three, four years. That's great. And by the end of the contract, I mean, the narrative had just, had just turned sharply. Yeah, he even in his like rookie year, I remember very vividly his game against Anthony Davis. And he I think a big problem with MKG is he just sort of lacked confidence. And I think that's like a sort of dumb thing to say about like NBA players. But for him, it was the case. And he put up, I think, 25 and 12 and like outplayed Anthony Davis and guarded him through the whole game. And I was like, hell yeah. Who cares about Anthony Davis? We got, we got, you know, new age Scottie Pippen. And I was like, he's going to become a good playmaker. And like his ball handling looks nice and uh, just sort of fell through overall. And I think it's also worth mentioning the draft, uh, Jeff Taylor, who I was also like excited for and like seemed like a good pick at the time through the process of the draft. But here are guys, guys who went uh, in the second round after him, uh, Sadoransky, Jay Crowder, Draymond Green. Chris Middleton and Will Barton all went within like 10 picks after Jeffrey Taylor. Wow. That's, that's interesting. I, I, like I said on the article, I didn't touch too much on like who did they miss on, but that's a, that's a big pool of like seriously talented NBA players that Charlotte missed out on. And, and at the time, like how it sounds like you were pretty high on Jeff Taylor. His defense, I remember saying like in the second or third season, like his perimeter defense in terms of like hounding a ball, Harry kind of reminds me of Cody Martin now, like just made people uncomfortable. He was a much better athlete than Cody Martin probably wasn't the passer, but, and showed flashes of shooting. Like I thought he was going to be a legitimate NBA player. There was a time where I thought he was going to be a better player than MKG. And then that, that Achilles injury just, uh, just completely offset his career. And I think, I think the off the court stuff from what I understand probably would have come out regardless from that injury. But when you're out of basketball for a year, you you know, a lot of people fall in some pretty dark places. And I think that's probably something that happened with Jeffrey Taylor. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was a real shame to kind of see what looked like a promising rookie. Like by the end of his second season, you were like, oh, he might be out of the league. Yeah, the domestic violence stuff, I'm like pretty out on. Like I just like, I you there's like no level of like this guy's so good at a sport that I like want to root for this player, you know? It's like a player who does like messed up stuff like Terrence Davis, for instance, all that stuff is like pretty bad. And like that doesn't mean he can't help a team win. But I just don't want to root for guys who have uh, like violence towards women, you know, full stop. It's like something I find like pretty grotesque. And the fact that we kind of like sweep it under the rug as much as we did. Jeffrey Taylor, interestingly enough, got suspended, I think, more than any player in NBA history uh, did for it. He was out for like 30 some games or something like that. Uh, and one thing I do want to say with the guys who went after him, 
some of these guys didn't blossom until their second team. So like Jay Crowder didn't really do anything on Dallas. It wasn't until he became a Celtic that he like really kind of like prospered. Chris Middleton, who was a throw in in the uh, Brandon Jennings trade, which is like crazy to think about, uh, didn't do anything for the Pistons. He like it was the Bucks that he like blossomed on. Draymond, I'm not convinced would have become Draymond if we had drafted him instead of the Warriors. So there is like that room where it's just like no guarantee these guys would have been better or the players they were. But I think they all probably would have been better than Jeff Taylor at the end of the day. Do you think if if you replay Jeff Taylor's career a hundred times, if he doesn't blow out that Achilles and, you know, he doesn't have the off the court domestic violence stuff, like how many, what... How, what do you think is like the most likely percentile? Like I could have seen him becoming a Trevor Ariza type player, like slasher defense, like could play a really key role on a good team. I, I could see that playing out in a very, very different way to how it did. That's a good question. Okay, I'm going to pull up his basketball reference. Like, f- so for my memory, which is like I, I'm looking at it, it's like his shooting didn't end up being real. So for his three seasons, he was a 32% three-point shooter and like 41% from the floor. And I don't, I thought his defense was like good, but I, in my memory, which it's like, I haven't watched footage on Jeffrey Taylor in forever. It was like good, but sub elite. He was our like lockdown guy, but he wasn't like the best lockdown guy. He had like good size, you know, he was like six, seven with like, I think like a six ten wingspan, something like that. But I do think I'm unsure if his shooting would have been real, so I, if his, he didn't like lose his athleticism, I think he's probably like an NBA guy for at least more than the three years he played, but I'm not certain that he would have been to the level of like Trevor Ariza, but certainly within the realm of possibilities. Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. 2013 let's do it uh yeah 2013 so this is like uh one thing this is like i think the only thing in your article that i disagreed with a little bit which is like a matter of opinion which is i didn't hate the byron mullins trade byron mullins is a horrible basketball player i want to be like very clear i watched like almost every minute of byron mullins he took had the lowest feel of any player i've ever watched with jack shots from anywhere but was like seven feet in theory could shoot and was like had vertical athleticism. And I think there's something to be said for like rolling the dice, throwing a second round pick on a guy who was a former first who was still young on a team that had no talent with being like, hey, here's a shot. This guy, if he does go right, could turn out to be like something exciting. Yeah, I think Mullins at the time, I was, I was for the trade. Um, I, I think from memory, it was two second round picks. I, I'm just, I was just trying to look it up there. So I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, from memory, it's two second round picks. Uh, I, I, this, the team needed a big desperately and I was on board with rolling the dice. 
ultimately, he just wasn't an NBA player. And no. you're no. giving up two second round picks, especially when you're a team that sucks. You know, it's an, it's an early second round pick. Um, it was more of one like looking back. I think it wasn't a good move. Like, I, I don't mind the theory of like packaging a couple of seconds to take a, take a hit on like a former first round pick who hasn't broken through. I, I like the, the principle of it, the idea behind it. It was just that the execution, the, the scouting just wasn't good. Like Byron Mullins is now playing for the London Lions in Great Britain. He's, he's playing right now in the British Basketball League. Good for him, and man. I watched- I'm, I'm shocked he's still playing pro ball, but uh, good for him. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, because he had a British passport at the time. That's I right. remember this. I there, was, about that. there was people talking about him playing with the Britain national team, and apparently he's he's trying to do it again for the summer, whether it will or not. He's now rocking. He's now rocking the beard. He's definitely not the athlete that he was, um, and still kind of. He's now more of like an inside player. Doesn't really shoot it so much from the outside. Does at times, but kind of really posts up because he's just bigger than everyone else over here. But yeah, it was, it was weird to see Byron Mullen sign from London Lions in 2021. I was like, wow, this is like full. Full circle. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think that, that early second round pick just for someone, it just was poor execution. I just don't think they got the scout right on, on the guy, um, who, who they decided to give up picks for. I, I think probably one thing I didn't touch on enough in this draft was how solid a pick Cody Zeller was at four. And, and I know he's not sexy, but like you look at the other guys selected around there. I think all the deeper went to Bennett one. Um, and then everyone else, like apart from Giannis, it was like a, Absolutely god awful draft, and Charlotte came out with a guy who has, you know, been a perfectly reliable NBA center now for just the best part of eight years. Um, so I think they they did a that's probably maybe the best pick outside of Kemba in like the the drafting history of that period. Definitely, here are the guys that like went right after Alex Lynn, Norlands Noel. Ben McLemore, Trey Burke, like Shabazz Muhammad was like even a few picks after that. There were a lot of guys who just ended up being complete bust. And Cody Zeller is a, a starting NBA caliber center. You know, he is like not an all-star level guy, but is clearly that was a good pick in a draft that wasn't very good. Um, is he a starter now though? Like, is, like if he can't start for the Charlotte Hornets, well, I think he should start, rotation but, uh, is the worst in the league. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. is is he a starting center now? I, th- I think this is my, we might be moving into a new phase of Cody's. I don't think he starts anywhere else. Even, even Charlotte, I if they brought him back next year, I don't think they bring him back as a starter. I think they bring him back as a as a big off the bench. I I think the Cody being a starter run is over. He, he was for a period. But I think kind of after last year, I think that was his last year, we can we can discuss Cody Zeller being a starting NBA center as of right now. Yeah, you wouldn't want him as the starter on your team, is my take. But uh, if we try to maintain both Malik Monk and Devontae Graham, like who are we bringing in to be a starter with the MLE? You know, Inez Cantor, like Jamichael Green. So it's like, I- I'm with you. He shouldn't be a starter in this league. But I'm not 100% convinced he won't be the starter come 2022, as depressing as that sounds. Do you remember who the reported MJ guy was in this draft? Do you remember it? Uh, I do not. Do you? Ben McLemore. That was the MJ guy. Oh, really? I, yeah, I yeah. He was the guy. All the report on pre-draft. The Hornets infatuated with Ben McLemore. Michael Jordan's making a push. Um that was that was the word before in the build-up to draft. I think they were linked with him quite a lot ahead of the draft, and then there was quite a lot of surprise when they ended up passing on him for Zella. Yeah, he. I didn't think I was like excited when Macklemore was still there. You know, I was like, uh, he's who I wanted. I've pretty much always just wanted a like uh, athletic, good shooting 
wing. That's like all I ever want in a draft, especially like, you know, five, six years ago before like I've learned really what like you need. And just like Ben McMore isn't really a wing. He's really only a two, you know, and he can't really dribble the ball. There's like a lot of things looking back. He isn't good. But uh, yeah, I'm. I, it makes sense well, that MJ would have liked him. I always tweeted out the other day that Michael Jordan, because he got waived by the Rockets, that uh, Michael Jordan will finally get his chance to sign Ben McLemore, <laughs> like, you know, eight years later after he passed on him in the draft room. Not that I think he would come here. I actually think he'd probably help this team right now with the number of bodies down and the lack of scoring they have. But he'll he'll go to some contender, no doubt. Real quick before we move on to 2014, I just have to tell this one Byron Mullen story, which if you didn't like watch him play, which like people who are Hornets fans now is like eight years ago, it makes sense. Uh, When he was at Ohio State, they were doing like a film session and he was like the big recruit at Ohio State that year. He was like a one and done guy and he had like messed up on a play and the room's completely dark. And like when they were going through the play in which he like messed up defensively, he would be known to like let out fart noises with his hands and would do that consistently. And it's just like, oh, that is the most Byron Mullins thing. If you watch him play, it totally makes sense. It's one to one that he is the guy making fart noises in the film study room session. What What is it with the Hornets getting weird, goofy, tall white guys like Frank Kaminsky? I can imagine doing that same thing like that immature yeah. goofiness, yeah. like just weird. Um, also, while at Ohio State, uh, while at Ohio State, went by BJ Mullins, BJ, yeah. Um, BJ, yeah, which which quickly kind of disappeared after he got drafted. One of those, where I want to be Byron now, just like BJ Boston. This year's draft, he was a BJ and he became a Brandon Brandon Boston. Yep, yeah, yeah. So it's it's like you get to kind of seventeen, eighteen, and suddenly you realize having BJ in your name isn't probably a good idea. <laughs> Um, you know, that's been a consistent theme in the NBA over the last decade. I want someone to transition back. I want someone who goes by like Bob to go to BJ, you know, just like, uh, Own it. Hey, yeah. Call me BJ now, you know? Um, so 2014, this is the Vonley draft who like quote unquote fell to us. And then in the second round, who do we get in the second round of 2014? No one. Well, well, we got PJ Hairston later in the first. Hairston, yeah, um, that's the second. Yeah, and gotcha. we, we we traded forty five for cash, and we got and forty five was actually Dwight Powell, which was you know who was before his uh, his ACL or I think it was Achilles one one of the two injury last year was like a legit starting NBA you know kind of low end starter but legit like lob threat three point shooter and we also got Scotty Scotty Hobson who we waived mm-hmm. so we literally just gave away the 45th pick for nothing for cash and as we established earlier the 45th pick has value like there are like players who get picked 45th who end up like Dwight Powell being a perfect example or imagine how much NBA Dwight players. Powell would have helped this team over the years say it again oh. sorry say it again sorry imagine how many times Dwight Powell would have like been good for this team from 2014 so, to like so 2020 useful. even just like having like a trade asset even if you like i don't love this player it's just like that player is better than nothing you know yeah it's a it's a very frustrating thing and like vonley as you like pointed out has like not lived up to the eighth pick overall i he was like another guy and just like similar to like malik monk who quote unquote like fell to us when we're because we we're always picking like eight to eleven seemingly but like not a real nba player we didn't really avoid any bat like we didn't pick nick stauskas but you could argue nick stauskas is like has the same value uh as noah vonley so it's not really a win and he went to the kings who were like a highly dysfunctional franchise that was like the height of kings 
dysfunctionality. So I, I still believe like if, if Stauskas had gone somewhere else, I was actually really high on Stauskas, which is obviously a miss, but I do think if he'd gone somewhere else, he, he could have been, he could have had a better career that he had, but I, I'd say he's on a, on a par with Vonley really. Yeah. One thing that is worth mentioning with the draft and like Hairston, like obviously really bad pick, like in retrospect, we, from my understanding, we really wanted Rodney Hood, and Utah took Rodney Hood at twenty three when we had the twenty fourth pick, and just I often thought when we had that uh, team with PJ Hairston starting at the two, how much better we would have been with Rodney Hood, who isn't like an exceptional player, but is like clearly an NBA player, and yeah, deeply sad. That was just like poor luck. We end up trading back two spots, so. Uh, LeBron James can bring Shabazz Napier to the Heat and then sign with Cleveland, you know. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, PJ Hairston was a guy that I was out on from from the day one. And this is one of these things where, like, the majority of Hornets fans were like, no, like, he was good at UNC and look at his G League stats because he was one of the first guys to go play G League, I think, after you kind of, like, left UNC in sophomore or junior year and went play with the Texas Legends. And he put up numbers there, but... For me, at this point, I was in the height of like, I only want high character people and I just don't want a guy with PJ Hairston's track record to be around this program, especially in this home state of North Carolina. Um, and I, I definitely feel vindicated by, by that one because I was definitely swimming against the current with the PJ Hairston selection and he was, he just never shot the ball. Like, no. He, he, his defense was actually okay, but he never shot the ball like he was supposed to. I think it's like career. That's the only like thing he could do on offense is shoot. He had no handle whatsoever. You know, he couldn't drive. It was he was a shooter who couldn't shoot. Uh, absolutely. So that was a, that was another again depressing pick late in the first round. Um, yeah. Uh, also, I was at UNC at the same time as him. Kind of a dick. Like any interaction, like very small, I had with him or people I knew. Uh, Kendall Marshall, I have a good Kendall Marshall story I'll tell at some point where he was incredibly rude to me uh, in a way that I'm still very mad about and glad he didn't have an NBA career, really. Uh, anyway, moving on, uh, 2015. This is uh, something I didn't know, I or I guess I maybe just didn't remember, was that uh, our, our coach was high on Devin Booker at the time. Clifford was a big Booker fan. Mm, yeah, I remember... I- I remember I was Googling, uh, trying to pre-draft workouts, which is a hard thing to find information on. But I remember Clifford talking, you know, you see head coaches talk about like draft, uh, prospect workouts all the time. And it's like, yeah, they game down and they competed today. But, but you saw Steve Clifford's like eyes just light up. <laughs> like, and Clifford didn't turn out for the majority of pre-draft workouts. And like he turned up for the Booker one. And then I think they got him in again. And I was, I was sure that they were going to select Booker. Um, and I remember going to this draft. And I was like, I have a list of eight guys who I like for the ninth pick. And Frank Kaminsky is the only guy I have on my do not draft list. And they came out with Frank Kaminsky. Well, you're looking bad in retrospect on that one. Frank the Tank, all NBA level player, you know, lighting the world on fire. Um, and this is again, like you talked about earlier about college players who achieved a lot in their collegiate career. You know, Frank Kaminsky, was he, was he National AP Player of the Year? I believe probably he was. Wisconsin, yeah. Like, he, he, no doubt he had a great year, but there were all sorts of red flags. It's like Luca Garza going ninth, into, you know, in the 2021 draft, apart from NBA personnel seem to have kind of learned a little more. Um, I mean, what a disaster from day one. And, like, I've heard stories as well. Not a popular guy in a, 
at Wisconsin or with the Charlotte Hornets or Bobcats at the time. I'm shocked to get associated with uh, Barstool Sports as uh, not beloved amongst uh, the masses, you know, real, real surprise there. The trade package with Boston, which who knows how many picks it was or like what it actually meant, you know, but it's like with a team where you like you need to hit big and there was maybe Justice Winslow could have been that guy. But to go with Frank Kaminsky over whatever that Boston package was, was uh, um, is still just like horrifying to me in retrospect. Like it was bad then, it's bad now, and it's just a horrible, and move. There was a horrible move. There was a lot of pushback at the time from Hornets fans saying, well, Boston is saying there's this offer out there and who knows what the picks actually were. And, and I was part of that at the start. I was kind of like, yeah, like this, yeah, we, we were right to take keep the ninth pick. And then like more details trickled out. And I was like, oh, oh no, this, this was a disaster. But like certain people would just like not move from, nope, they, they made the right decision. They should have taken their guy. We don't want a bunch of middling first round picks. I mean, it was just to turn it down. And they weren't the only team to turn it down. That is the Hornets are the one famous for it. But from memory, they offered that same trade package to the teams that are picking seventh and eighth. And they also got rejected. Um, but yeah, to, to miss out on like an opportunity to get, but the four first round picks right now is like what you get for like Drew Holiday. Yeah. That's what the yeah. the Pelicans got for Drew Holiday, and we turned that away for a ninth pick in like an average draft. Um, it just again another disaster. And the the second round trade is was another w- interesting one, probably the most interesting looking back, where we we traded the 39th pick to the Nets, which is one Pablo Vole, who I don't think has ever played an NBA minute, for the pick that became Arnoldus Kuboka. And the pick that became Taylor Horton Tucker, which I don't mm-hmm. think I'd not seen anyone talk about anywhere that the Hornets traded the pick that became Horton Tucker. And obviously, like, you know, if they've kept that pick, they could have taken a whole range of guys and it probably wouldn't be Horton Tucker. But it's another one of those things where you look back a bit like the Tobias Harris one in 2011, where you're like, God, you know, the Hornets tried to make a move to get ahead and ended up just literally kicking themselves in the shins. Yeah, 100%. It's uh. Anytime the like cash consideration stuff comes into play, it's just like it, it makes you want to scream. Uh, twenty sixteen. This is another draft that uh, made me want to scream. Like I remember where I was when we traded the twenty second pick for Marco Bellinelli. Uh, I had like taken the day off work. I had like told the girl I was seeing like, "Hey, I'm busy today. It's the NBA draft." I was so excited. And, and then we'd trade a first round pick for Marco Bellinelli, who like wasn't very good for us, like filling in for the Gary Neal, uh, Gary Neal role. And, uh, just like really depressing. I know we had won 48 wins the previous season and we wanted like a rotational shooter, but I don't think any team in our position would give up a first round pick for somewhat of Bellinelli's value anymore. This regime 100% wouldn't. They, they really value their first round picks. They talk about that player development aspect. I think the time of moving like a first for a borderline rotation guy who could be here a year or two to help you in the playoffs, I just don't think the team will do this anymore. And like the two times that Michael Jordan has traded a pick and haunt with, a, with a being GM or owner of Charlotte was one for Tyrus Thomas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one for Marco Bellinelli. And they both turned out horribly. So... I'd like to think he's learnt his lesson here. And, like, at some point, the Charlotte Hornets are going to trade a first rounder. It could be at the draft this year, and, and that's fine. But it's not for, one, 
like a guy, a low character guy in Tyrus Thomas. Never trade first round picks for low character people. Like, yep, take risks if, if the asking price is cheap, but not first round picks. And then for like a, a middling vet who's like had a good playoff series for the NBA champions where they, they're functioning in like the perfect environment surrounded by Manu, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan. Like, I, I think Kawhi might have been there at that point as well. Like, to, to train at that point, like, that guy's in a situation where he's built to succeed. He's got so much space. He's got so much freedom. He's going to come to Charlotte, and he's, like, the only guy in the, the second unit who can score. So the defense just locked in on Marco, and it, it never worked out for him in Charlotte. He, he never shot the ball efficiently. He couldn't create uh, offense for himself or others on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, a rough draft overall. And just, like, the second round, there was no one we like could have gotten you know like nobody in the i counted like zero players in the second round like really worthwhile that year um let's go on to just 2017 since uh, we're running out a little bit of time that was the malik monk draft where i was in lithuania i told my best friend i'm gonna stay up all night because it's like the time difference i remember being at, like a weird friend of a friend's house sharing a bed with my buddy watching the draft screaming when we got malik monk and uh I don't know, like, clearly he's, like, not as good as Donovan Mitchell or, like, Bam, but, like, is he better than Luke Kennard? Like, I I guess Kennard's had a better career so far, and uh, Dwayne Bacon is not not an exciting pick, but also one that, like, was at least a rotational player in the NBA and still still is, so. Another drop to us guy, like Von Ley, Mm -hmm. and um, we talked about earlier, like, oh, we didn't expect Malik Monk to be there. We better race the podium and pick him. And one thing I've learned, if a guy is sliding out of like the top five, top 10, there's normally a reason. Like you get, you obviously there's always exceptions. The the most important one being like Michael, Michael Porter Jr. who slid, went to Denver and then was like, you know, it's obviously now a, a starting level player. But for the most part, there's something that pe- people cotton on to here. And I feel like Charlotte kept like taking up other people's kind of stuff they didn't want, like other people's rubbish that they just didn't care about. And Charlotte kept jumping at those opportunities. And like you say, Monk, I, I still don't think like, in what world is Malik Monk a starter on a good team? I, I don't know if I see that. I think he's going to be a sixth man type role for his career, which is actually fine. Like if you get the sixth man and the ninth pick, that's, yes, that's okay. Totally fine. Uh, yeah, um, but interesting. Do you remember the the Steve Clifford love of Donovan Mitchell? Do you I do. That one? I definitely remember. He was such a big Donovan Mitchell fan, and it's just like I remember being like, if we draft Donovan Mitchell because I thought Monk wasn't going to be there, like I'll be fine with that. He seems to be a good defensive player, you know. And uh, how good would have that Kimba like Donovan Mitchell, you know, backcourt been like? They're pretty small, you know, they would have like some issues, but uh, I think if you would put those two guys together, our whole franchise is different. I completely agree. I, I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be some guys. I think like dep- if they got drafted elsewhere, they might not be the player they were today. I think Donovan Mitchell would have succeeded no matter where he went. And I remember seeing him interviewed before the draft and like maturity just oozed mm-hmm. off the guy. Like you, you could just see him being uh, an NBA vet for years to come, like everyone loving having him part of the team. It, it was an obvious kind of easy pick to make. You're not going to have any worries about selecting a guy. At the time, people thought he was going to be a defensive 
better defensive player than offensive player. Like that was the the scout and Donovan Mitchell. They called him Spider. He got steals. Like he wasn't a great efficient shooter. He wasn't a great finisher around the rim. Um, but man, like he he really worked on his game, and it was obvious from like summer league day one that that kid was going to be a player. So we'll we'll end it on the 2018 draft, which is like this is where you see sort of like a shift in you know how well the Hornets are drafting in terms of their philosophy. I was really big on Miles Bridges pre-draft. I, I just want an athletic wing who can defend and shoot. And uh, I, I thought he could, Miles Bridges could defend in college, and it has not proved to be the case. Uh, but tr- drafting Shea and then knowing the Clippers wanted him, extracting two second-round picks is like an excellent piece of business. And uh, and then getting Graham in the second round, obviously a huge win. Yeah, I- <laughs> It was. Um, but it was strange at the time because, again, this is one where Kupchak had been GM for two months. Mm-hmm. Again, he was probably... And, and I remember like during his press conference, like people would ask him, like, how much game have you been watching? And he was like, yeah, like my son played for a team, like college team, and I watched a bit of them. And like, like they didn't fill me with great confidence that he'd been keeping up the tabs with the NBA game since being out of LA. Um, again, I worry how much, how involved he was in that. And I, I think... I knew they were never going to really take a really risky player. And like Miles Bridges fit that because he was like, uh, I think he was a, a sophomore in college. He'd come back. He'd almost came out the previous year. You knew what he was going to be from day one. There was no mystery there. Like I said, the defense just hasn't translated the way that I thought it was. I was a big Miles Bridges guy as well. Um, I, I remember him being able to really block jump shots, being a real strength at Michigan State. And like that, I can't remember the last time I saw him block a jump shot. Um, his length has just really struggled for him. So, it, but Devontae Graham in the second round, you're talking about your first real hit in the second round in I don't know how many years. I mean, from when I did the review of the draft, like 2011, that there was the best pick since 2011. So I don't know what the best second round pick was before Devontae Graham. I don't know if you can remember any kind of old horn itself stuff off the top of your head, who the best one would yeah, be. Yeah, not off the top of my head. 2011 is when I really started watching. So like from my... Hornets fandom, clearly the best second round pick. I do have like a going through in a vacuum, not this current roster, because I think that kind of answers itself. Who would you rather have between uh, Devontae Graham and Mitchell Robinson? Who went like a Devontae Graham? Devontae Graham, clearly for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think clearly. Um, I I just think Mitchell Robinson is going to be so... He's not a great defensive rebounder. He's obviously a phenomenal shot blocker and he shoots a great percentage because all he does is dunk. But for me, in the highest settings, you need to have a high basketball IQ. You need to be... You know, be able to do lots of things. Mitchell Robinson is a a one NBA player thing. He's going to dunk. He's going to block shots. That's all he's going to do. And I think when you play against really good teams... I think he's the kind of guy who'll get played off the floor. Whereas I think Devontae Graham is just so smart on both ends. Like his defense the last two weeks has been really good. Um, I, I would clearly want Devontae Graham over someone like Mitchell Robinson. I think I'm with you. It's like team dependent. Like if I could trade Devontae Graham for Mitchell Robinson on this team, I probably would just to free up our guard rotation a little bit of like sure. assuming. No, I get that. But yeah. uh, in a vacuum, I think it's like, the correct take and Mitchell Robinson, I think got a little overhyped considering how exciting he is to see. He's like a big highlight play guy and he's like plays for the Knicks. So anybody who's like, okay for the Knicks 
is going to be hyped so much, which kind of says a lot about what Obi Toppin has done this year, because we haven't heard much about him at all. And I know he was injured and all that kind of stuff. Um, one thing I did want to mention, uh, Michael Jordan's pocketbook still getting filled in 2018, selling the 45th pick, Hamadou Diallo, who is like a rotational NBA player for cast considerations, and then a like later second. So he took the 45th pick, which is like a demarcation point of like, you can still get a rotational guy. And we got the 53rd pick, which became Jalen McDaniels, which I, I think is positive. But it's just like, come on, why are you trading like seconds for money? Like, please stop doing this. Yeah. And it's going to happen again at some point, And we will, we will get flashbacks of those previous times we talked on moving back in the draft for cash, Dwayne Bacon, and then for Jalen McDaniels, selling them outright, trading them for nothing future seconds. It's, it's going to happen. But yeah. Do you want some breaking, depressing Hornets news, by the way, while we're on the pod? Oh, uh, I guess. This, uh, is it Gordon Hayward related? Yeah, he will miss at least four weeks with a right foot strain. Uh, well, man. Uh, so how are you feeling about our playoff chances now, James, huh? I, I mean, I, if they can finish outside of the play-ins, I think they've done well. And if we if we think four weeks, that takes us... Let me... I'll, I'll You fill time here. I'll count out how many games that rules him out of. Yeah, so I guess, like, to finish our discussion, a couple of, like, overall thoughts... We have drafted, like, I would say below average and then really hurt ourselves with selling second round picks. But more than anything else, like, we've just sort of gotten unlucky when we have had top picks like the Cody Zeller draft. There just weren't many good players. Not getting Anthony Davis, like, really hurt us. And then just the tendency to draft bigs who, like, just like big men from who were successful in college, like Frank Kaminsky, Cody Zeller, you know, Noah Vonley wasn't super successful in college. That has been a real drawback. But I do feel good about our picks that we've done over the past couple seasons. I like, I'm still somewhat high on Cody Martin for a second round pick. I, I still like Jalen McDaniels. Devontae Graham obviously is like a revelation uh, for the 34th pick. Um, and uh, LaMelo Ball, even though it was like, the clear choice. We didn't trade up to get James Wiseman, and I feel so thrilled about that overall. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'll come back to the Hayward stuff in a minute. I think, look, the problem is the Hornets, when they selected like the proven college players, the Zellers, the Kaminskys, it didn't go well. It didn't translate. When they selected the risky potential players, Monk, Vonley, like MKG, it didn't work out either. And I think at some point, you have to point at this team and the franchise. Why were they failing to develop these players? Like, if these point. players went great elsewhere, point. would they have had success? And I think the answer is yes. I, I don't think the Mike Dunlap, Steve Clif- Clifford era, apart from Kemba and Clifford, and, and even Kemba for Mike Dunlap, to be fair. And if, you know, if you saw Kemba Walker flourishing under Dunlap, then maybe that says more about how good Kemba Walker is rather, yeah. rather than Mike Dunlap. Like, the team did not develop people consistently. Sometimes they start like, sometimes rookies were completely frozen out, like Vonley, like Monk. Sometimes they were playing rotation minutes from the start, like Cody Zeller. And no matter what they did, if they made them earn it, whether they gave them the opportunities, whether they got a toolsy player or they got a ready-made player, it never worked. And I think it's more about the team's ability to develop talent over that time. The Hornets were one of the slowest teams to get a G League team or a D League as it was mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember writing an article for Queen City Hoops 
about why the Charlotte Hornets needed to invest in a D-League team. And that was about two years before they announced that they did. Uh, and I think that's been one of the big changes here is that we can we can have rookies and it's not worrying about, oh, well, will they get into our rotation? If they don't, then they can go down to Greensboro and they can play. I know not so much this season, but in a regular season. But we went to the bubble. Not every team went to the bubble. I'm very glad we gave our guys the opportunity to do that. And I think MJ's learned the hard way that if you are not a free agency destination, you need to you need to have success through player development, through you know making savvy trades. Um, and I, I think he's kind of accepted the long build now. You know, no more first round picks for Marco Bellinelli. It's the long build. It's the it's about the kind of the, the process now. And and for Gordon Hayward. If he misses four weeks, he'd miss 17 games Yeesh. and that would leave him to come back with about seven games or so of the regular season left. So, and that's just till he'd be reevaluated. So he could be out the, whole year. the rest of yeah. the regular season. And, and he's like, he's not a guy who comes back from injury quickly, as we know. Um, so yeah, that's going to be a, a tough stretch now for Charlotte. Really interesting to see how the rotation plays out. We saw Miles Bridges at three yesterday. We'll have to see how that goes. If, if we'll probably see some more of that, I reckon, for the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I don't love him at the three. But uh, James, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I had a I had a blast talking about this stuff. Uh, thank you for writing your article because it gave me the opportunity to deep dive. And it's like, honestly, the most enjoyable prep work I've had for any pod or any of like my Twitter threads that I've done. So thanks for starting that chain for me. Ah, no, no problem. And uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time to read, and thanks for having me on. Happy to do it yeah. again. Anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just that you can uh, feed me over at the Hive. Uh, hopefully, you do already, or follow me on Twitter at British underscore Buzz. Um, I've been able to get some access to the the Hornets media availabilities this year, so I've been able to get some kind of really good original content, um, which has been useful. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. All right. Well, we'll see you uh, uh, next week, guys. All right, everybody. Thanks again for checking out the At The Buzzer podcast, your source for everything related to the Charlotte Hornets. Feel free to leave a review, rate, subscribe on any of your favorite podcast platforms, and stay tuned for much more related to your Charlotte Hornets.